Hello and welcome to the Happier Here podcast. In this episode, we have Orion from Illuminating Hearts. He's here to talk about men's healing and we get into a lot of different aspects of this in this conversation, but uh, as you know, I talk about this a lot. Orion has a lot of really good thoughts and experiences with this topic and I'll just go into it and hope you enjoy. Welcome, Orion. Well, thanks, Craig, for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining me. And in this episode, we are going to talk a little bit about something we were having a conversation about the other day. I think it's really important, and it kind of, most of the listeners to this show, obviously not all of you, but a lot of you are men, and a lot of us have are now coming across dealing with these emotions and dealing with our traumas and dealing with all of the things that we were basically told growing up that we're not supposed to deal with they're supposed to bury it and then there's you know we're we see our the older generation like our parents generation how that's negatively affected their health and it's like a very obvious thing so you know that and just trying to be more better people because it, it seeps out in so many negative ways this whole idea of men's specific healing because it's a little bit different for men because of the way society has conditioned us and we had a really interesting conversation about that so i figured it would be cool to have you come on the show and talk about that uh with me yeah absolutely i'd love to share what i'm kind of learning and figuring out because yeah as you were talking about the elder generation in literally recovering from their fathers and their father's fathers and their father's fathers and so um i spend time with my father once a week i take him to lunch and we go to harold's up in you know in florence it's an old diner and it's a practice it's a practice in just accepting that he is awkwardly loving me the best way that he can he doesn't have many tools uh, many emotional tools not like we're working on and trying to acquire yet today right um to grow and to heal and to recover so abstinence is a word that you hear a lot in the recovery world when it comes to sobriety, but you cannot abstain from feelings. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's uh, a thing in the recovery world too. It's like you, you're not really recovering if you're only just abstaining, if you're right. just pushing it away and burying it. That will work for a while, but it just continues to build and build and build and then something breaks. Yeah, exactly. My first year of sobriety uh, to alcohol was just abstinence. Yeah. And then I realized, oh there's recovery aspect. So why was I using the alcohol to mask things? And it's really about what we're going to talk about today is it being in touch with your feelings and not um, creating a veil, a cloud of smoke, if you will, uh, to keep you from feeling those things. Yeah. So what are some of the, just let's to start out with, what are some of the outlets that you see uh, men coming together um, where you see this kind of happening and where you are participating in this kind of work. Sure. I think my first foray was into the Mankind Project. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I did look it up after you mentioned it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it was really cool. And it was, they were using some um, First Nations traditions of being sacred in order to, you know, create a group of men and having some, uh, a sacred space. And as soon as you create a sacred space, you create a sense of safety. And... As a man, my biggest challenge is feeling safe, either emotionally safe. Uh, yeah, just emotionally safe first, right? Yeah. Can I be vulnerable without ridicule? Can I be vulnerable to all age generations of men and not be ridiculed or be right. put in judgment? So 
the Mankind Project set up some kind of some a belief and a structure of how we listen. And that's been a big component to my healing process and in my relationship is how do I listen? How well do I listen? Am I actively listening or am I just planning my next response? Right. Yeah. And I think that as men, that is a tendency that we have. I mean, everyone has that tendency, but especially because we're kind of pushed to be the leaders in the room, which is unfair to women. We need to learn how to be equal in a room. And this isn't, you know, like to say that men shouldn't also be at the table. That's, I think a lot of people misunderstand that about feminism. They think that that means that men are getting pushed away. Mm. Um, And certainly maybe some people that misunderstand their own movement have a tendency to do that. But it's just from their own idea of scarcity, I guess, of how much room there is at that table, you know. But I think the big thing is, as men totally separate from the way we interact with women, it's just how we interact with each other. And like you said, having a space that's safe from ridicule, that's like where a lot of us learned a lot of these negative coping mechanisms is through ridicule from other men in our early years and that perpetuates itself over time and it's just kind of been that way for maybe ever yeah (laughs) for pretty much most of of at least modern history so how do you see that coming up and do you see any like positive changes that are happening especially towards like younger people that we can as adults as parents as we're learning to come closer to this personal healing and and learning to forgive the people that potentially hurt us, how can we pass that on to the next generation? Oh yeah, good question. So how do we pass that on? I think it's just modeling the behavior, Yeah. right? And we've always been asked, what do you bring to the table? What can you bring to the table? Well, I'll invite you to see it differently. How will you help build the table? Because if everyone has a hand in building the table, you know, how big is it? What, what, what are going to be some of the ground rules? Um, how will we communicate? If we're all building the table and we can build it big enough for everyone, right? Yeah. N- not make it exclusive to only men or only women or only, you know, have diversity, right? right? Diversity yeah. is going to be the, the integral part to all of our healing. So as a man in recovery from the toxic masculine, how do I influence the younger generation is to create tables, build tables, build furniture with them, bring them all the way with you, say yes to everything, and just show up. And this is a practice of mine. This has been a valuable learning lesson that I'm still learning how to do it. My son's 19 years old, and I'm still learning how to show up. Mm-hmm. And boy, do I fall down a lot <laughs> because I... I had an aha moment and then I realized I was trying too hard Mm -hmm. of what I thought I needed to do and what I thought I needed to be to be a good dad. In fact, all I had to do was be me. But in that process, I wasn't really sure what, who me was because me was developed over years of abuse of alcohol and sex Mm -hmm. and other things. So I didn't start figuring me out. I didn't start loving myself until uh, 42 three years old yeah so it's a lot of years and a lot of self-conditioning and i still fought against um cultural norms and expectations and it just didn't feel right right so bringing it to the younger generation and my son would be the first person and is just trying to love myself to such a place that i can't help but model the good behavior yeah i think that in general when we're 
spreading any kind of healthy healing modality or uh, lifestyle or way to live your life and be fulfilled. It's not about, let me shove this thing down your throat. Let me tell you how this needs to be. Yeah. Let me be overly aggressive about, you know, anything. It's, it's about, let me figure out my own stuff and let me try to live as a model for the people in my life. Because we touch so many people in our lives and in, in even just really small ways that we don't realize could have a much bigger impact. Um, I mean, like you, the first time I met you, we only talked for like 15 minutes and I was like definitely impacted by that conversation and just by your energy. Uh, and I've had people tell me that. And mm -hmm. it's like, it makes you really start to take notice of your actions in everyday life and how just a little bit of the energy you bring to a room, the compassion you bring to a conversation, the eye contact you bring when you talk to somebody can make a huge difference in how they see themselves, which then boosts their loving kindness towards other people. And then it's kind of this infectious, good yeah. infection that just like it, spreads. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You want to test the idea of energy and you give it to yourself as a test. Like people say, oh, your energy, all this energy, woo woo stuff, yeah. right? It's yeah. all woo woo. I tell you what, walk around town, smile huge at everybody smile when you come into a building smile when you come into an office and be freaking genuine about it and you watch how it changes the energy of the room and how people perceive you if you don't feel like putting a smile on do it because you'll you're literally creating alchemy in your body as soon as you smile go ahead and do it now see it changes everything it brings yeah. joy and it brings you a sense of of well-being so Turn that frown upside down. Stand up tall and smile big everywhere you go. And you'll notice bringing that energy to a room affects everything. And it's a positive effect. I mean, I think that that's another thing where uh, men are kind of shied away from that, you know, type of energy because it's vulnerable. You know, when you're, when, when you're, you're putting a target on your back, basically, and everyone else in the room is noticing that and i've experienced where especially in some cultures like where things might genuinely be a little bit more dangerous like in certain parts of my hometown or every city has it like there's neighborhoods where walking down the street with a giant smile on your face yeah can seem like and you're told that that is putting a target on your back yeah. for actual physical harm. I know. I heard the same thing. Walking in I, San Francisco, my wife, I'm looking around. We spent four four days at Esalen, which is a Richard Groovy hippie retreat uh -huh. center on the coast in, in Big Sur. And then we went into San Francisco and we're walking around. And she's showing me around. And I said, how come nobody's smiling? And she said, yeah, don't smile too big. It turns you into a target. <laughs> you know, so I get that. Yeah, and I don't know necessarily that that's true. I've never experienced... It turns you into a target for joy. <laughs> right. I've had some really great experiences with really tough people that, you know, are not normally the people that you... And then they have this great experience with you. And, you know, it's... I, I used to shoot music videos for rappers that were literally stopping yeah. in the middle of shooting to go sell some drugs and coming back yeah. and... They were like totally opening and accepting people when you came at them with that same, yeah. if you don't come at them with aggression, they don't usually come back at you right. with aggression. Right. It's, it's what you're creating because I have a Utila kilt and it is a kilt that's got some cargo pockets on it and it's made of khaki and I've been wearing that. I've been, I have a couple of them and I've been wearing those since 2002 and I started wearing them in Hastings, Nebraska and you make friends really quickly <laughs> in a small town bar 
wearing a kilt. Yeah. And I still wear that kilt and I like it because it's comfortable and it's very, you know, they like, whoa, that's not manly, but it's very manly. That's what we I mean, used to wear all the time. Yeah. And the Scottish are like the manliest of all men. And that's where <laughs> it comes from. Or that, uh, it's come from a lot of cultures, but yeah, that's where it's most uh, yeah. culturally known from now. But that's, you're showing up and you're, you know, you're, you're a walking altar. Yeah. And what you wear and how you represent yourself and that energy you bring is a pre-introduction to yeah. yourself. You know, if you walk in, I can't tell you how many times I walked into my corporate gig or when I was in construction, my head hung low and I was hung over from the night before and I didn't want to be there. That shows. Yeah. And it's contagious in the same way that both, both, all types of energy are contagious. Yeah. So whatever you're, and, and the more you bring to a situation, whether it's negative or positive. Yeah you know, the more contagious it is. Um, Peace and love, man. It's catchy. It is. Yeah. You know, people hear that and they think, you know, like you had said, like the energy thing, people kind of might think like, oh, that's kind of woo woo. And like some people are into that in like a very esoteric kind of way. Some people are more practical materialists. Right. And even from that aspect, that stuff is very real. Like you said, you can experience it firsthand, whether that's just a chemical reaction that's happening in the brains of everyone in the room when they see you smile or you whenever you're smiling which is happening, you know, like literally, um, or however you want to conceptualize that, it's very real. And it's, I've been in these groups of, we had a a common futures group in my hometown that I had started with some other men that were all going through things. Um, A lot of them were out of jail after drug charges, trying to get their lives back together, trying to get relationships with their children. Um, And we're just kind of there to help each other either give each other literal advice or just kind of make sure that we knew that there's other people there for you. Because a lot, sometimes, especially after you've destroyed all of the relationships in your life through addiction or whatever, sometimes there isn't anyone there except for those people that you meet in recovery. What I'm interested to see and what I would love to see happen more is I see a lot of really tight-knit men's group in recovery. I would love to see that go beyond people that are recovering addicts, more to the general population, get to people before they oh. develop those uh, those habits of coping, which yeah. obviously a lot of us, that happens so early that it would be pretty much impossible to do that. But um, I think as we that's the key to expanding the culture beyond just like, oh, this is just a thing that people in recovery yeah, do. Yeah, I think what you're asking for is some really good parenting skills. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. that's where it all starts, you know. Neither of my parents were alcoholics, but we did have alcohol in the house for when, you know, they had parties or what have you. And I definitely started getting getting into that way early. And I was getting into it because I was trying to cope with some sexual abuse that had happened when I was about eight. And I didn't even understand what it was until mm-hmm. probably in my 30s. Well, that's not true. I definitely understood what it was, but I didn't know how to deal with the feelings of it. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, what I've discovered now is that I've practiced forgiveness and it's been a gift It's really been a gift. And because now I can help other people who are struggling with abuse and some of the depression and other mental aspects and life behaviors, what what you end up doing to try and pacify yourself around that issue. I've experienced it firsthand. I've got a lot of experience in it. Matter of fact, many years, just like (laughs) I had many years experience in drinking and womanizing and just learning to be a better human. But you have to fall down first. I mean, I wish that that wasn't the case, uh, but it seems like the people that have the strongest self-awareness and self-growth, it does have. I'm reading a book called Power of Meaning right now, and it talks about post-traumatic stress or uh, post-traumatic growth. 
uh, like three-fourths of people that experience traumatic events experience post-traumatic growth where like one-tenth or something experience post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Um, and the conversation around trauma is always post-traumatic stress disorder, which yeah. is important to have. But there's also this other side of it where it can teach people pretty profound things yeah. uh, and expand your tool set to communicate and be compassionate yeah. with yourself and others. It's not a disorder. It's an injury. You know, you weren't born with it. Yeah. And a disorder is something you're born with, but an injury is something that happens during your lifetime. Like this was something I experienced and I didn't have the tools to cope with it. So I was injured, emotionally right. injured, right? Well, it's like if you break your arm and you don't have, go to the doctor and it's, right. that's it's gonna, wrong. Yeah. You're going right. to have problems with that the rest of your right. life if and you don't. Yeah. go back and get it broken again and fixed exactly so you might have to break yourself again at some point in order to fix the th things but it's not about fixing them either it's about becoming aware yeah because you can't fix the thing that already happened but you can definitely change your your perception of it so that's that neuroplasticity right where you can change that neural pathway over and over again that says i'm a bad person i'm a bad person because mm -hmm. this happened and but that's not the case yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happy You're Here podcast. I will be linking in the show notes below information about where you can reach Orion and see some more of uh, what he's working on. And we're going to have him back in next week's episode as well to talk about uh, a little bit more. Thanks for listening. I'm happy you're here. Mm -hmm.